begin by talking a bit about what the landscape of technological innovation looked like at the time that you were appointed to serve as CTO. So it was in 2009, you were appointed, and what were some of the key challenges at that time period relating to tech and tech innovation? Well, thank you, Hannah, for having me. And I would say the overarching concern in 2008 and 2009 was the economic Mm. crisis. Mm. And President Obama had the foresight to imagine a world that wasn't just about recovery, but reinvestment for the future. Mm -hmm. And the opportunity in 2009 had been to think about how we build an economy that works better for everyone in the long run. Many people... Uh, refer to the Recovery Act uh, for just the short part of that, the Recovery Act, as being mm-hmm. a you know nearly a trillion dollar investment uh, that was meant to stimulate stimulate the economy. But they mm-hmm. forget that the other half of it was called the Reinvestment Act. It was Recovery and Reinvestment Act, and well over a hundred billion dollars went into research and development, modernizing mm-hmm. the electrical grid, modernizing the healthcare delivery systems, IT infrastructure, broadband and to facilitate uh, a a modern infrastructure for a 21st century economy. Gotcha, gotcha. And so given that kind of landscape and the economic challenges of the time, what were your primary objectives when you entered the position of CTO? What did you hope to bring to the role? Well, President Obama really had the vision for the role, and I wanted Mm -hmm. to honor and serve his vision. Mm -hmm. And it really had two parts. Uh, The first part was to harness the power and potential of the Internet Uh, to solve problems, and many of those problems could be social services-related issues, improving access to health care, improving education, improving our transition to a a sort of a a fossil fuel-free energy economy, but also to harness the power and potential of the Internet uh, to grow the pie. And Mm -hmm. that was uh, these two uh, dueling uh, areas of interest. One Mm -hmm. might be an inward-looking approach, making sure that we're solving Uh, problems and the role of government is properly deploying technology and solving them. And the Mm -hmm. other is to make sure uh, we have, as I mentioned, an economic growth uh, story that relied more heavily on entrepreneurship and startups and welcomed Mm -hmm. women and minorities into the economy and gave them Mm -hmm. chances for for prosperity. Right. And my role was to sort of mm -hmm. operationalize that, if you will. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so in addition to the inward-looking approach, there's also sort of a future-looking approach because in 2011, the Obama administration released a strategy for American innovation in in which one of the aims was to, quote, win the future. Um, Can you talk about what win the future meant in the context of your work? Absolutely. And it really comes down to three things. Mm -hmm. Uh, One, that we think about infrastructure in a global economy in a slightly different way. It traditionally Mm -hmm. had been roadways, railways, and runways, Mm -hmm. but now we see digital infrastructure as critical for a thriving economy. So winning the future meant redeploying capital to a Mm -hmm. modern infrastructure, number one. Number two, it meant that we set rules of the road that promoted fairness and competition. Mm -hmm. And what that meant was in a digital economy, that would mean uh, better protections for your privacy, so that the data that is being collected in this digital economy is controlled by you, uh, security to make sure we had rules of the road that would protect your information, increasingly um, sensitive corporate information. Uh, but also mm-hmm. it meant that we had more uh, data portability or interoperability so that information uh, that is useful 
to a bank in mm-hmm. making sure that your bank account is, is, is a properly uh, deployed can be connected to an application that would help guide you to get a loan to lift your life up uh, from where you were economically. Mm-hmm. And then last but not least, it meant that we put big stakes in the ground right. on a clean energy future, on a healthcare system that rewards much greater value for the dollars we invest, and mm-hmm. an educational system that gives everybody a fair shot uh, at, at participating in the economy. And that those big uh, ideas need an all-hands-on-deck approach, which mm-hmm. involves crowdsourcing and crowdfunding and research and development and more uh, uh, you know, areas for collaboration across the mm-hmm. economy. And those three things together uh, meant the, the backbone of our strategy for American innovation. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and so I know that also in 2011 you helped launch Startup America. Um, how much of the goals of that program do you think you were able to accomplish during your tenure in office? And kind of looking at the landscape today, what do you think are the primary barriers that startups continue to face in gaining momentum? Well, for sure, uh, we have done a little with a lot more to do. Uh, Startup America was really a campaign to draw Mm -hmm. attention to the fact that entrepreneurs, new businesses, disproportionately account for job creation. We often Mm -hmm. hear small business uh, or large corporations, and it turns out that new not smart or large, is the right frame. So new businesses got a lot of our attention, and that meant a campaign to convince companies Mm -hmm. to build their supply chain with more startups. That meant uh, encouraging uh, entrepreneurship in areas all across the country, not just Mm -hmm. Silicon Valley or Boston. But it also meant opening up the government and thinking uh, differently about our regulatory environment. So that Mm -hmm. led to the JOBS Act which was a bipartisan law that allowed for crowdfunding and also some Dodd-Frank relief for new businesses that wanted to raise capital, since capital uh, uh, raise is such a huge uh, barrier to the success of new businesses. Um, But there's a lot more work to do. In aggregate, fewer Americans are starting new businesses than before the economic crisis. And that has to be part and parcel of a broader community cultural shift uh, mm-hmm. that acknowledges in the digital economy we're operating in, a lot more folks will be connecting to new companies, uh, switching jobs. And so mm-hmm. don't just look for a job, potentially create a job as a new mindset is something that we're very focused on. And I continue mm-hmm. to be focused on in the private sector. Right, completely. And so in terms of new mindsets, you know, in, in 2012, I know you worked to make available the Open Innovators Toolkit, for which one of the goals was promoting innovation from the bottom up which is kind of a different mindset. And why did you feel it was necessary at the time to disrupt that top-down approach or top-down mindset to innovation that had really been the mainstay for so long? Well, in large part, it's because there's new muscle mass in our economy. Mm -hmm. Um, Running a bottom-up model of innovation was pretty hard uh, pre-Internet era. But now Mm -hmm. an employee in a branch of the Veterans Administration uh, can come up with a brilliant way to improve how veterans get access to their health benefits that right. may not otherwise make it to the annual budgeting cycle mm-hmm. where lobbyists compete on how an incremental dollar is invested. So enabling more bottom-up innovation was a critical part uh, uh, in combination with the new uh, communications platforms. So today, the federal government can spend up to $50 million on challenge mm-hmm. or prize money, So innovators from all over the country 
or even the world in certain cases, can solve a problem and not worry about political bureaucracy or lobbying. And that mm -hmm. freedom, uh, we thought we wanted to not only inculcate at the federal level, but to scale state and local, and maybe even right. inspire some in the private sector to similarly harness this new communications platform to, mm -hmm. to, to reward great ideas within the organization. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And, and so finally, I wanted to talk about um, your work to introduce the Blue Button Program to streamline healthcare records access for veterans. Uh, what was entailed in getting that program off the ground, and what do you think its success really means for the future of open health data? Blue Button is really a movement where the idea is if you've got information about me, it should be accessible to me. And in today's mm -hmm. Internet economy, that means uh, I should be able to connect my data to an application of my choice. Mm -hmm. gotcha. And the real uh, innovation, if you will, for Blue Button mm -hmm. had more to do with culture. Uh, mm -hmm. President Obama was able to stand before the Disabled Veterans of America in August of 2010 and mm -hmm. to make the statement that we will absolutely going to focus on uh, the uh, opportunity for veterans to access their health information and to connect mm -hmm. it with whomever they trust. And within 90 days of that statement, despite the fact that a lot of folks were worried, are we allowed to do this? Is it technically feasible? Is it legally appropriate? We were able to power through. And once we did, that wall of disbelief turned out to be paper thin. Now, mm -hmm. all over the economy, this discussion about uh, freedom of my um, uh, freedom of my data, it's now European regulation with GDPR, mm -hmm. so I can take my data where I want. That has scaled beyond healthcare into energy, into the banking systems, education. Hopefully in the future, we will now see a world where Siri or OK Google or Alexa will help us navigate all of our daily choices uh, powered by our information and decision support so that we can make sure every step of our economic or life journey is mm -hmm. really meant to optimize and give us a chance to live that American dream. So that's, mm -hmm. that's the vision. I'm so proud of where we are. We have so much more work to do.